As Christians, what do we do when we find ourselves surrounded by discouragement and even danger? Well, we're going to see today in the book of Nehemiah what he does. I think his response is really the one that we should have, because last time we left our man Nehemiah surrounded by a dangerous enemy, and we see what Nehemiah's very first response is on today's session of Reasoning Through the Bible. Hi, my name is Glenn, and I'm here with Steve. We're working our way through the book of Nehemiah. And if you have your copy of the Word of God, open it to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 9. Steve, what do we have coming up today? Well, we've talked about Nehemiah having project management skills, and we can see him doing different things in order to move a project along. And we've talked about that, but very rarely in a business project do we have it to a point where people are actually threatening to kill you. We see here that Nehemiah, as we go through and he's working this project, we can glean from it, but we're also going to see how he's going to deal with this actual physically harm attack that uh, he's being threatened with. And Nehemiah has had a singular purpose. The singular purpose is to rebuild Jerusalem, specifically the walls, which are the first step to make it a protected city. Without that, it's open to the enemies. And Nehemiah will not get distracted. He's faced some criticism and some distractions, but he's always stayed right on course. And he has not allowed the critics to distract him or slow down the work. As that's happened, the critics have grown. And as we saw last time, the critics are now numerous. They outnumber the people of Jerusalem. Now they're taking up weapons to come at Jerusalem from all sides. Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem are in quite a spot. The first line of the next verse tells us what Nehemiah is going to do. What is that, Steve? It says there, but we pray to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. It says there, but we prayed to our God. So I think that's great advice, Steve. If I wake up one day and I find myself surrounded by enemies coming at me from all sides, all I was trying to do was do God's work. And suddenly there's trials and tribulation, dangers and distractions and even threats to my life. Then the first thing I should do is what Nehemiah did was, but we prayed to our God. Before we have seen him individually going to God, now he's expanded it to the group of people there and he's incorporated them in the prayer because he says, we pray to our God. Another leadership move here is don't just try and take all the burden on yourself. Incorporate other fellow Christians to join in the prayer vigil against whatever might be going on. And here's where we could launch off into a sermon. What does the enemy have? Well, the enemy has more people, but we pray to our God. The enemy has us surrounded, but we pray to our God. The enemy has swords and spears and weapons, but we pray to our God. So today, when I think I'm outnumbered, outgunned, what can I do? I can pray to my God. My God is more powerful than the enemy. That's the first lesson here is that what does Nehemiah do? He's a man of God. Yes, he's very practical. We called him a project manager. He's very practical. And as we're going to see, he takes practical steps. But the first thing he does is pray to the Lord. They prayed and then they put in a very common sense 
defense. We set up a guard against them day and night. So that is a very practical thing to do. Yeah, what you see here is a 24-hour vigil. So they're building the wall during the day, and then they're also having guards at nighttime so that they can't come in at nighttime and start to destroy what they did during the day, or they can't come in and take them by surprise at nighttime. So Nehemiah is taking this threat from them very seriously. He's not looking to pass it or ignoring it. He's taking it very seriously to the point that now they have a 24-hour watch, both when they're building the wall and at nighttime when they're at rest. Yes. And our other guard we have is Elsa, our producer. I don't know if you've heard that, but our, our producer, Elsa, is our German shepherd, and she's on guard as well. But moving on, one of the themes of Nehemiah is that we should go to God first. Whenever we're surrounded by problems, distractions, and even things that might take our life, first place to go is we should pray to God. The second is we need to put in some practical defenses. We need to put in some practical things. And that's what Nehemiah does here. He sets up a guard against them day and night. One of the messages is that brave people in the face of danger, yes, pray to God, but then take up weapons. There is nothing righteous about allowing evil people to come in and kill innocent people. And that's what's faced here. These people were saying, look at verse 11. They're not going to know we're coming. We're going to sneak in and kill them and stop the work. So these people were evil people that were planning to kill innocent people. Nehemiah does what he should do, pray to God. But then he puts people with weapons up there to defend it. There is nothing righteous about watching evil people come in and kill people. We need to take up weapons at times. There's a key point there in, in verse 11. They weren't going to stop the work by just displacing the people. They weren't going to attack them and push them off and away from Jerusalem. No, they were going to kill them. And that's the way that they were going to stop the work was to actually kill the the Israelite and the Jewish people. So what, what do you expect them to do? They need to be able to take up arms and protect themselves, not just to be able to continue the work but so that they can survive. Look at what happens in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. There's a lot of rubbish and we're unable to rebuild the wall. So they're losing their spirit. There's too much trash. There's too much stuff going on. We're not going to be able to finish. They're very discouraged at this point. While it's good for Nehemiah as a leader, he's not listening to him and he's gone to, to God we see that there is a vulnerability by the people themselves, the ones that are doing the work, that they start listening and they start getting discouraged. So that's another thing that a leader has to do. A leader has to be able to keep the, the spirits and the focus on the people that are doing the work and redirect them and not let them get discouraged. Good leaders have that capability. Let's find out next what Nehemiah does. Starting in verse 12, it says this, When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear... I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding the weapon. As for the builders, each wore a sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each one took his weapon even to the water. It seems to me, Steve, that Nehemiah is being very practical and very direct, just like always, but he is a man of action. And he sets up the defenses. He divides them up and to keep the wall going, but he, he divides them to where some are going to be act as uh, defense or soldiers. Others are going to keep building. So this does have somewhat of an effect because now the workforce is minimized because some of them have to be stand guard. But Nehemiah still figures out a way in order to keep the work going. In verse 12, it says there that the Jews were saying the enemy is going to come from all sides. They're going to come from everywhere you turn. And what I would hold, Steve, there is there that shows they're afraid. And my question is, do people make good decisions when they're afraid? No, for the most part, they don't. They work off of their emotions and their immediate position is, I want to get out of trouble. And sometimes they'll move into a worse position trying to get out of trouble than they were in before. What ends up happening when people are fearful and for that matter, angry too, modern medicine has told us that the hormones start in our body and the hormones affect the way we think. People that are very afraid and for that matter, people are very angry, physically cannot think straight. Our ability to think clearly is clouded by what's going on inside our bodies if we get afraid. We need to find ways to make, when we make decisions, make sure we're not fearful when we're making the decisions because we'll make poor decisions. We physically can't think straight. Here's the question that's on the table before us now. How can we, when we get in fearful circumstances, how can a Christian today keep from making decisions when we're afraid? How can we minimize our fear? Yeah, I think that you just have to go to the Lord and trust on the Lord. Take your problems and your issues to Him. That's one way. But the second way is to think things through. And if you start to see some sort of a threat, kind of build together and put in place a plan in order to have a way out. Go through your mind or go through with the others of your family and say, okay, if here's the situation that we're in. Here's the possibilities that could happen and go through each of those scenarios and come up with plans and ways to, to do that. 
Some of that is to be able to have a safe place in the house. Some of it's in order to have a safe place somewhere else. Having a plan in case something happens is the best way to be able to stop that fear from coming over you to where you don't have the rational decisions. Doing that and rehearsing it, then you rely on what you've rehearsed and you're not relying on the fear factor that you have where you're not going to make those rational decisions. Today, we'll face fearful circumstances. We have fear of, of evil people. We have fear of maybe losing a job. We have fear of severe diseases, fear of losing those around us. I would say that one of the things that is in the tool bag of every Christian is that we just remember that the Lord has gotten us safe thus far. The Lord has gotten us here thus far. I remember David when he went up against Goliath. Here was little David against big Goliath. What did he say? Oh, I don't have to worry about him because when I was keeping sheep, the Lord protected me from the lion and the bear. I've found this to be true in every Christian's life. God will bring you into small trying circumstances before he leads you into the big trying circumstances. So when we get into, wow, this giant's bigger than anything I ever faced before, whatever the situation may be that's making us afraid, remember all those times in the past when God got us through and he'll get us through this next one as well. Psalm 56, three, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. So if we just remember what God has promised us in the scriptures and he's got us through so far, then we don't have to be afraid. Then in verse 13, Nehemiah gets defenders and puts them in a logical manner. He starts by putting defenders in the most exposed parts where the wall is lowest. He is a good military strategist. And at the end of verse 13, Steve, what do they arm themselves with? Well, they arm themselves with swords, spears, and bows. And not only does he put them in places of vulnerability, but he puts them in groups of families. Why is that important? You're going to fight harder to protect your family, number one. The other thing is, if he puts them away from their family while they're protecting a particular point of the wall, they might be worried and wanting to know, well, what's going on with my family on the other side of the city or somewhere else? By having the family there, it gives them the strength and further to protect them and also to know that they are being protected. I think we have a very important lesson for us that I, I have heard questions over the years about should Christians keep weapons, things like that. Most of the time when that question gets asked, people immediately think of in the upper room in the Gospels when Jesus said, take a sword, you might need it. And then later he said, put your sword away. There's been answers on both sides of that question. I submit back here in Nehemiah, we have a very clear very profound situation where we have a biblical answer to the question of what people should do with weapons and defending ourselves and defending innocent people. God's word in Nehemiah chapter four says that it is good and proper when an enemy is threatening the life of innocent people that we should take up weapons and defend them. There is nothing righteous in allowing evil people to come in and take the life of your family and your neighbors and your culture. Look at verse 14. It says in verse 14 that when I saw their fear, I arose and spoke to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's the first thing. Remember the Lord. But he also says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. The church will need in various times, brave people that are willing to fight for their wives and their family. Again, there is nothing righteous in sitting back and allowing evil people to kill your family. There's Christians that are faced with this at different times. Now, I can't sit here and speak to every situation. There may be times where I might not want to do such things, but I can tell you this. If you're a Christian and philosophically you say, I'm not going to pick up a weapon and take the life of an enemy, then Nehemiah is not going to have it on on his team because Nehemiah is looking you in the eye right now and he's saying, fight for your family, put a weapon on your side and go out there and work and don't sit here in fear. Yes, remember the Lord and carry a weapon and fight for your families. That's exactly what he's saying. I kind of get a little passionate about it because I, I think there's too many times where Christians are just weak and we allow evil people to come in and decimate our land and our culture and our families. Well, we see that Nehemiah has two approaches. He has the spiritual approach in going to God and trusting in God that he's going to help them and to remember what God has done. But he also has the practical approach as well in order to have the weapons to defend the families that are there. And your uh, plea here, Glenn, is from a defensive aspect on a defensive mode of people that are trying to come in, enemy that is trying to come in to your home and to kill your family. That's what your plea is. Be ready to be able to defend your family. Right. And that, that's exactly what Nehemiah is saying in, in verse 14 is to protect your family. But look at what else happens here. When they do, look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. What ended up happening is because they took up weapons and everybody had a weapon at their side, the enemy didn't attack and nobody got killed. So what ended up happening is because brave men took up weapons and were prepared to take the life of an enemy, then they didn't have to take the life of an enemy. And the enemy didn't take the life of their families. And that's exactly what happened back then. And it's exactly what will happen today. And yes, there's places in throughout the Bible where we are we are commanded to seek peace. And here's just just a few of these quote, pursue peace with all people. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pray, quote, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.2. God has called us to peace in 1 Corinthians 7.15. Jesus came to guide our feet to a path of peace. So, yes, all those places we are as Christians are to seek peace. But sometimes evil people won't give us peace. Sometimes evil people come and try to kill our families and try to kill our nation. And Nehemiah says it's a good and wise thing to take up weapons and protect our families. And there, again, nothing righteous in allowing yourself to be killed for the Lord. So moving on, though, sometimes evil people bring this violence to us. They won't let us live in peace. We have this evil world around us. And until the Lord comes back and fixes this, then we're going to have to deal with it. 
So then in verse 19 and 20, it says there, Nehemiah organized and had this emergency response plan. He didn't respond to the critics when they were just ridiculing the Jews, but when they became a real military threat, he organized the people, set up a battle plan, had a way for, okay, I can call in reinforcement on short notice. This wasn't haphazard. He was thinking this methodically. Notice here he took half of his helpers and put them fighting, but the workers from the populace each had a weapon at their side. They were working. He has a trumpeter because you can hear a trumpet. It's a ram's horn, but you can hear that a lot further than just somebody calling or saying something. So he has the trumpeter that is with him at all times. Whenever he sees a threat, he has told the people, when you hear the horn, the trumpeter sound, then rally to wherever that trumpeter is. You can picture here at Jerusalem, you have a wall that's going all the way around them by Nehemiah being able to move troops or move the soldiers, the defenders from one area to another within those walls. So it becomes efficient for him to be able to have the defenders stand where they are, but then rally to a particular point where there might be more forces that are threatening to overrun the positions. Look at verse 21 and what he tells us here in verse 21. He says, so we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. And from that, Steve, it tells me they were working from what my dad used to say, can to can't, till you can see in the morning, till you can't see in the evening. They worked as long as there was daylight, then slept inside the city. Sometimes the Lord's work is long and hard. And this was physical labor. This was this wasn't a desk job. This was outside doing heavy physical labor from very early in the morning until very late in the evening and then sleeping next to where you work. Sometimes the Lord's work is difficult. Those of us that are going to do the Lord's work need to be ready to work. And in verse 23, it says, when they slept, that none of us removed our clothes. So what that shows is, is that they slept with their clothes on at the ready. They were ready to get up and go to and take defense to defend their family at a moment's notice. What we find here, Steve, is this situation is indeed a very serious situation. Nehemiah was only doing what the Lord had put on his heart to do, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in doing so, minding his own business, doing the Lord's work, these people came up and wanted to not only kill him, but those around him. And the problems grew. And I submit that in these problems, Yes, it was fearful times, but it gave God an opportunity to show his greatness. Difficult situations call for a great God, and that gave a great situation for God to show how powerful he is. And now, Glenn, I want to say here, too, that this is a situation, what you just mentioned. This is a situation that has been thrust upon them. All they want to do is rebuild the walls of their city. And they have this threat. It started out with mocking, with name calling. And now it has moved into a force at all sides, all around them that are threatening to come into them. That's the situation that has caused them to take up arms. It's not that they're there taking up arms from the very beginning. What you have been describing is if a situation comes up where you have to defend your family, 
That's where the taking arms come up with. We're not supposed to be going out looking for trouble or looking for areas to take over. That's not what Nehemiah was doing. He was simply rebuilding the walls and this arm threat was coming from the outside. So Nehemiah says, all right, I'm going to make it to a situation to where we're going to defend the walls. You're going to defend your family and we're going to work in shifts. And now we're also going to get to a point where we're going to sleep in our clothes and be ready to go at any point. Because once the walls get completed, they're in a much, much better defensible position Right now, they're at a vulnerable point. Their walls are half built, and they've still got breaches in some of the walls. So this is a critical point. And I just want to emphasize your point is when a particular situation comes up where we need to defend our family, that we need to be prepared to defend them. But we shouldn't be going out just looking for something to do. Correct. Nehemiah was wanting peace. He didn't want to fight. What did he not do? Well, what he didn't do was I say, okay, guys, these guys are a threat. This enemy is a threat. So let's put together a military force and we'll go out and find them and attack them. No, no, that's not what he did. He says, all we want to do is sit here and do the Lord's work. We don't want to fight. But if they do come fight us, we're going to have a plan in place. We're going to have the weapons ready. We're going to have people that I make sure are willing to use it if they get attacked. Because, again, you're going to want these evil people to come kill you and your family. And he specifically mentions your sons, your daughters, things like that. That's what we're talking about. We've reached the end of chapter four, probably a good spot to stop for now. But our man, Nehemiah, is still in a spot. He's not out of the woods yet. He's still got this great situation. What we're going to see in future chapters is that the attack from the outside is not the only place. There's also going to be some attacks from the inside. And they're a very different type of attack. It's not an attack with weapons, but it's a very powerful attack. And we'll see that next time as we reason through the Bible. Thank you for watching and listening. May God bless you.